great job. Thank you. That's awesome. There's going to be about double that tonight when we get I'm all here on the stage in the different services. So glad you're here with us. Thank you. You did a great job. You notice some of them could kind of put a little rhythm with it. and You know, that's just kind of second nature, kids. They just, they just kind of get into their worship. If you turn to Matthew 18, we're going to be visiting that text this morning from the Gospel of Jesus and uh, a series of events uh, that allow Jesus some time to teach his disciples probably one of the most important things they'll ever, they'll ever learn, and that is that kids are the greatest. Kids, you're the greatest. And uh, Jesus said so. This is my opportunity to expose you to my grandchildren. <laughs> Every grandparent has a little flip out book they, they can show you all their, now we have these iPhones and you're trying to find the right one. You know. But this is one of them. This is my four grandkids. The reason you have children is so you can have these. On the front row here is from one family. This is Amelia on the left, Amelia Gumdrop, we call her. And this is Alistair. Oh boy. And they are Carnies, which is my daughter married a guy named Carney, and so they became Carney. <laughs> and then on the back row on the right, there's Ivy. And the one on the left with the rock is her name is, we call her Pim. Her name is Nora. Pim is her middle name, E Y M. Pim just fits her. And uh, I don't mean to exclude the other ones, but I'm just gonna, for the next slide here, this is Pim. This is absolutely her personality. I mean, she's never what? It's always, ah, let's do this. And uh, she'll be in the middle of her role playing, story playing in the back room, and she'll just come out and just shout to the whole world what's going on in her little world. And, I appreciate that about her. And then in the next picture, this is my wife reading to Pim when she was just tiny. And uh, you know, you have all these pictures with, I was looking through pictures and you know, it says, is this Pim, is this Pim, is this Pim, yes. And on your, if you have a Mac. But anyway, uh, I was looking through all those pictures and seeing all the different changes and your heart sort of goes, oh, they were so cute at that age. Oh, they were so cute at that age. Oh, I loved when they did that. I loved it. You go through memories and pictures just have a way of just flooding you with emotion. But one of the things I, I remember about all of our kids when they were little is they loved this particular book. See the one she's holding there. And actually, this is my precious copy of that book. And it's been through all our kids. It's been through our grandkids and you know grandma should say go get pick about what book you want and inevitably especially the little ones the tiny ones would get this book now it says on here this is a white clean book and this is one that they can put in their mouth and not tear you know except that they managed to do it anyway so it's covered covered with uh, tape and it's it's very used but I was especially intrigued that why would the little tiny ones appreciate this book? 
It's so simple. The artwork's okay. I mean, if I'm being honest, it's it's cute, but it's it's kind of primary colors and. But that's the book, my friend, Jesus. And I'm going to read it to you this morning, if that's okay. I could probably have it memorized. I know the kids do. And this is how it starts. My friend Jesus. Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. A mommy brought her children to see Jesus. Jesus held the children and talked to them. The children were happy that Jesus was their friend. Jesus is my friend too. I love my friend Jesus. Thank you God for my friend Jesus. Read again. <laughs> Read again. Read it again. You've heard those words if you had children. Read it again. They never get tired of that message. Why did that little book, simple message, so resonate with little hearts? Why would they go to the shelf and pick that one out? It's all what we're talking about this morning. Let me pray for us. Lord, I, I need a clear thought, a fluid tongue, Lord. I just want to expose us today to your precious words of Jesus. Lord, let him penetrate our hearts this morning as we study. Jesus, I pray. Amen. My friend Jesus. Jesus loves little children, all the children of the red and yellow. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the Amen. The kids were singing, you know, Jesus' day all the time, just like they were today. And uh, we have a story here. I don't care if your children are noisy. They can be noisy as they want. In fact, I appreciate it. You guys, older people, would be a little more noisy in church. You can say amen and say yeah. You got it, Phil. I mean, you do that if you want to. But I have you say a few things along with me. Kids are the greatest. Can you say that? Kids are the greatest. Jesus said so. Jesus said so. And that's a good motto. Whenever Jesus says something, you can take it to the bank. And so in our text, Jesus is going to say some things about children this morning that I want us to really latch on to. That's a beautiful thing about Jesus. You don't have to try to figure out, oh, is he telling me the truth or not? Or is he right about this? He's always right. You can always look at his words and, and take him to the bank. So, oh, oh, there was one little page that was left out of this book. They didn't put on it. You know, when I was little, mom, I used to get the Hagemeyer big old Bible story book and mom would read out of it. We got to David and Goliath, and it wasn't until like, I was older that I understood it. David actually cut Goliath's head off because that was left out of the little story. It's a little gory part. But anyway, there's a page that's left out of this book. It's not in this book that somehow they left out or it fell out or something. It says, well, mommy brought her children to see Jesus and the disciples got in the way. And they said, no, not, not, don't bother to teach you right now. 
I forgot that page in the book. Why? Because it's kind of a, it's an embarrassing thing. After listening to what Jesus said. Why? Why did they do that? Why did they hinder the children from coming to Jesus? Because there was a mom there that wanted to bring her baby and put him in Jesus' arms and say, Jesus, would you bless my baby? Would you pray for my baby? Would you heal my baby? Maybe. Would you heal? Would you, would you bless my children? You ever pray that over your kids? You ever want to place them in Jesus' hands? Why we do baby, baby dedications, we say, God, help my baby. There were some women that wanted to do that, and Jesus took them and blessed them. But those disciples had this some idea in their heads that somehow Jesus was too busy for babies. He couldn't have time for them. But what does Jesus say? Well, in Matthew 19, before we get into our text, here, notice what's, what's before, 18 or 19? Which is first? 18, right? You did math, right? 19, you can respond, you can be noisy in here. 19 is after 18. Okay, so this is 19. Keep that in mind. But Jesus said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Now say these words with me. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. So what does this mean? What is Jesus saying? The kingdom belongs to kids. What is a kingdom that belongs to kids? Look like. What is a kingdom to adults, you know? You have rulers, you have kings, you know, they have armies, they fight each other. What does a kingdom look like to kids? Does it look like Neverland? Does it look like Chick-fil-A playground? Does it look like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory? Does it look like Disneyland? where your imagination runs wild, where you can do all kinds of things like drive cars that you can't do until you're really old. How old do you have to be to drive a car? Who said You said 16? How old? Four? Four or five? That's how old I was when I drove a car one time. I know it was. Actually, I used to take a chair and I'd put it on the side and I would sit in it. And it looked just like if, when you flip a chair, this particular chair on the side turns into a sports car. And so I, when I was little, you know, I would do one, two, three, four, even five. You know, you know where five is right there. Here's reverse. I learned all that. I could, I could synchronize my, you know, the clutch and the, they used to have a clutch in cars. Anyway, and that's, that's cooler. That's why when you get to build a little older, they still make a five so you can still be that little guy. Five years old. Well, one time I figured I knew thing, everything about driving cars. And so I actually been watching Dad for a long time. He had an old 58 uh, Chevy. No, it was a Ford uh, station wagon. That's what you have when you have eight kids. You have a station wagon, you pile them all in there, no car seats. 
and you rattle around in that thing. But I had watched him a lot because I got I was a little one, I was the youngest, and I got to sit in the front seat. One privilege of being young. And I watched him, I watched him shift that thing, I watched him push in the clutch, and I was learning all about driving a car. And so I figured I pretty much had it under my belt. So I snuck in the car, you know, you picture a six-year-old. You get into it, I can't really see. But I knew that it had an emergency brake, and I knew if it was out of gear, it would go. And I thought, I'm just going to try my first step in driving. So I pushed in the brake as hard as I could, and I released the parking brake. Okay? And our driveway is a little bit of a hill, just, just slight enough for a five-year-old. <laughs> I was just going to hold that brake, and I was going to push the parking brake back on, and everything would be cool. I'd get out. No harm in that. One problem is I underestimated um, the gravity, and I overestimated my little foot's ability to push on a brake. That's before they had power brakes. And so, clunk, and all the kids are watching this car go down <laughs> the driveway into the street. Now, we lived in a safe street. There weren't cars going. It was on a track. Everything was cool until my dad came out with the belt and spanked me. <laughs> But I don't really remember that spanking. I do remember the second spanking when I did it again. I remember the same clunk. I remember the same. I thought, maybe I got it this time. I can do it this time. Clunk. Whoa. I can't hold this puppy. And so I do remember him chasing me with a belt around the trash can. Because I think I ran over one trash can. I vividly remember the second spanking. So it's one of those stories you share about kids. You know, you have fun, and, and when your kids hear those stories, they laugh, they love to experience those things. But that's just what kids are like. They like to dream. They dream about, I'm not four and a half. I'm almost five. One of these days, I'm going to be taller than that little line so I can ride the big billboards. One of these days, I'm... I'm going to drive a car. One of these days, I'll get to choose which meal I get. I'll get to figure out how late I get to stay up on my bedtime. One of these days, I'll be able to wear makeup. Not me, but one of these <laughs> kids. Uh, I'd say one the day I'll be able to drive, I'll be able to get married. But then somewhere in the life, we reach this point, maybe about 25, we think, I, I like 25. I can do the things I want to, I can water ski, I can, I'm getting pretty good at snow skiing, I can, I can do these things, but oh, there is that loss though. I, I used to play football in high school, but I, I can't qualify for a college team, so I have to drop that off. And then you sort of get a little older and you get a little wiser and you think maybe water skiing isn't my sport anymore. Last time I fell, it was just that close, you know, and so I traded in the water skis for a fishing pole and then other things begin to go downhill. You get the middle age spread and they begin to replace parts of your body with other things and patch up other parts that are gone. And, and you begin somewhere in your life looking back and you think, man, it was a lot better to be younger when I could do this or think that. And 
You know, they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And so they get a younger dog to take your place. And you look back at life and you think, man, kind of going downhill. I wonder what my dreams were when I was little. I wonder what I prayed about. I was just talking to somebody in the first service. They said, I remember some of my early prayers when I was young and how powerful they were. And there's something that happens in our lives where we begin to be convinced by the world that all those things we believed when we were little really aren't valid. Well, in Matthew 18, let's jump into that scripture. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We're in Matthew 18 this time. Remember, 19 was earlier. So this is a lesson that they were supposed to learn in 18, but they didn't give because they were hindering the children. They were supposed to learn this in Matthew 18, so they should have turned back and said, oh, this is what Jesus saw. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? And calling to himself a little child, he put him in the midst of him and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never even enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what do we know? We know that children are greatest and we know that you can't even get into the kingdom of God unless you're a little child. It only belongs to children. The kingdom only belongs to children or people who are like children. Now what is he talking about? What is Jesus talking about all these things? He's trying to get across to us. What good are children anyway? So the rule is, if you want to open up, well, peanut butter, this is almond butter. If you want to roll, open up an almond, don't give it to, who do you give it to? Do you give it to, did you give it to? So if you have spiritual matters, Jesus says you don't give it to a kid. No, Jesus says you give it to a kid. You give a kingdom to a kid. He knows what to do with it. But you give him a peanut butter jar and they need to give it to an adult. Peanut butter jar isn't in the text, but that's the idea. There was some disconnect between what the apostles thought of, G, of these kids and what Jesus thought about these kids and what is Jesus getting to? Something I've been rolling around in my head and I really enjoyed talking with my wife about all this this week and exploring all these different scriptures about kids. I find myself going back to this theme over and over again that why did God create us the way he did? Why, you know, he could have just made seeds that we plant and his kids pop up on trees, you know. But why did he have a mom and a dad and a baby? And why did he make our babies different than all the other babies, a lot of babies in the world? You know, if you have a deer that's born, you know, it's all 
will send it up on its feet. All of a sudden, it can get its own. They know how to get make their way in the world. You have a baby. What do they do? What do they get? To? They can't open the anybody. They can't even communicate to their limbs because the you know the nerves don't have all the covering on them. They they're just wiggling pieces of flesh. I remember walking up to my daughter, my first daughter, so blazing. I was walking in. She was under the warmer. I remember I sung to her. I don't know what you know. I sang. I played certain music. Everything. I remember walking into her. And all this stuff is going on. And she's just, you can tell, she's just like this. And all of a sudden, I just say, I did. All of a sudden, she walks on. First moment I touch her. She knows who I am. It was very obvious she knew my voice. What do kids understand? What can they do? Why would Jesus say, even these infants, bring them to me? Why? Why is the kingdom only fit for a child? I always used to wonder why he created us like that. He must have some parable about being a baby, about being a child, that's supposed to teach us something, Jesus said. It's all about relationship. From the first day you are born to the last day of your eternity and beyond, it's all about being a child of God. Think about it. Faith is what children know from, from the time they begin. They know I can't do anything. I need my parent. I can't feed myself. I'm just going to cry on my needs to be taken care of. They understand faith. And somewhere along the line, we trade in our faith for our knowledge and our wisdom and our pride and our understanding. So, we used to believe in, you know, a heaven like Disneyland. We used to believe in those stories in Eggermeyer's storybook about a guy swallowed by a whale. That was so cool, wasn't it? I mean, David fights a giant and cuts off his head. Uh, miracles like a, a, a sea splitting and you're walking through on dry land. But then we begin to get a little more education, a little more smarts, and maybe a few people disappoint us in the church or in, in the world and maybe we just get too wise. I, I had, a, had a trombone player raised in the church and he was playing for me in orchestra and uh, one day I was just talking to him during rehearsals and and I said how's it going college he was a sophomore and he says you know um, I, you know, I begin to engage him about him getting into the science field and he said you know I, I don't really believe in like the six day creation anymore and I, I really think you know evolution is really how we came about and and 
you could just go through the conversation and just see how different teachings had eroded his faith. And you begin to get this story from the world. We know all those stories are really just stories. And the miracles that Jesus supposedly do, did, you know, touching people's ears and saying, be open, or, or raising people to dead, you know. If you go long enough in theological studies in some universities, which were intended originally to produce preachers, did you know most of our Harvard and Yale were established by Christians in order to train preachers? But now, if you can get through Yale all the way and get through all of the major studies, then you will be taught all kinds of things that undermine everything that Jesus would have you believe when he said the Lord created the world in six days. Or when you look at those pages, you don't see miracles. You see someone's interpretation and someone's embellishment. And somewhere along the line, we lose faith in Jesus and what he said. Somewhere along the line, we become so smart that you can become a theologian who doesn't believe in God. You don't even exist. And your, your study just becomes some kind of pulling the brain apart, trying to figure out why we have religion in a materialistic body. I always wonder why people go that far in theology. And I think it's because of pride. That we want to be the smartest, we want to be the coolest, we want to have all the answers. We love to be the skeptic now. It's almost a pride that goes along with skepticism. But Jesus said, be like a child. Have you forgot your dreams? Have you forgot what Jesus taught you? All those precious things? He gives us children to teach us how we need to be. From the day a child is born, they understand faith. That's all they have is faith. They can't open a peanut butter jar. They can't drive a car. Kids are great at a few things like faith and love and knowing what it means to be a child. They simply trust. They simply believe. And they're totally dependent from the very beginning. So that's why Jesus points them out and said, become like a child. When Tim, the excited one, came in the other day, she was at the top of our stairs, and she just yells, Papa, catch me. And she jumps. And I was like, <laughs> and I caught her before she hit the concrete floor. Yay, Papa. I knew you could do it. I didn't know I could do it. But she knew I could do it. And just like that, as she hears the words of Jesus, she says, I believe you, Jesus. I can believe in what you say. And Jesus, there's this huge contrast all through during Jesus' ministries. And you get to see a little bubbling excitement in his eyes when he heals some people and they say, oh, that's great to go on the way. 
other people like the centurion who had servant and he says, you know, if you just speak the word, I know my servant. You don't even have to come to my house. You just speak the word. You have authority. I'm a man of authority. I understand how it is. You speak the word. I know my servant. And Jesus goes, finally. Finally, just simply somebody who believes. So I'm not trying to analyze you like the rest of the Pharisees. What do you say about the Sabbath? What is, what is he doing? They're trying to pick apart Jesus. They had their intellect. They had their pride. They had their reasoning. So they were looking at every word trying to find an angle where he was wrong. Because it all becomes about pride after you grow up, after you learn better, after you figure out the world, and then you begin to look at God and say, well, God, you're not really measuring up the way I think things ought to go. Instead of faith, we exchange that for our intellect. We become God's but not children. They just believe. There's a point where Jesus is in the ministry. You know, Jesus spent a lot of time up in Galilee where he was from. All those cities up there came where he did his first miracles. But there comes a point in time where Jesus becomes angry with those cities. He says, you know, I did most, it's a place where Jesus did most of his miracles. But it says about those cities, it says that he began to rebuke them. He says, you know, if the miracles that I had done in Canaan or Bethesda, you know, Bethesda, Bethesda, if those same miracles had been done in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. And they would have remained to this day. When we think about Sodom and Gomorrah, oh, that's a good place. But if they had had the same miracles that Jesus did, and he began to rebuke them for their unbelief, stuff that kids have. They weren't children enough to believe in what Jesus said. They weren't like children. Remember Nicodemus, he's this great teacher. And he comes, but he's seeking something because he comes to Jesus and he says, you know, nobody can do the kind of things you do unless God is with him. We recognize that. Jesus immediately turns the conversation and he says, you know, unless you're born again, unless you are born again, you cannot even enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and Nicodemus says, what do you mean? Become a little baby again? Can I go into the mother's womb again? Be born again? How, how can this be? And Jesus says, you know, you're, you're a great teacher in Israel. And you don't even understand this simple problem, simple thing. That it's all about becoming a child of God. Children know how to be children. It's innate from the time they're born all the way through their childhood until they learn better. They know how to be children. And really it's the it's the call of all the gospel. The central theme of the gospel is about faith. And what is faith? We, we, we sort of try to define it in terms, but the easiest way to think about faith is to become a child. child. Children have to trust everything else in the world. They have to trust other people. 
So that's what faith is. You're just a child of your Heavenly Father. He's a good, good Father. That's who you are. That's who you are. And I'm a child. That's who I am. It's all about your identity. If you're a child, you understand. So he had just finished getting after these cities because they didn't have any faith. And so... But then there's a shift in the mood of Jesus. I love this little transitional phrase in one of the Gospels. As it's recording, it says that Jesus was filled with joy from the Holy Spirit. His heart changed after being angry in these cities. He's filled. And, and his, these are his words. He says, God, I thank you. I praise you. Because you have hid these things from the wise and understanding. And revealed them. What can a child teach you? You know that from being a parent, if you are. Child teach you everything you need to know about God. If you can figure out how to be a child, you can relate to your Heavenly Father. If you just have that kind of faith, trust in Him. Let me tell you about Alistair. He was... The two in the picture I showed you before, the two in the front, Alistair and Elliot, their parents are getting ready to go to Albania. And uh, they have times of prayer with a meal like we do, but they do different kinds of prayers. They, sometimes they say, well, let's just listen to God. What do you think God is saying to you? And Amelia pipes up and she says, he says he loves me takes care of me, and I'm the greatest. She gets it, doesn't she? Somewhere she heard that, somewhere she believes that. She has that relationship with a tender age in him. And they've been preparing to go to Albania, and when you're little, the sacrifice is a little different. They had to give up their pet rabbit because they're going to be gone for a year. Their guinea pig is going to stay with Papa and Grandma for a year while he's teaching and there's a church there with a school that has Christians and non-Christians who can be teaching English for a year, but they're thinking about their little sacrifices. And these are Alistair's words and what God is saying to him and what he's responding. He's thinking about all the sacrifices, thinking about birthdays with Nana, who this is their only grandchildren on the other side love him to death and he's saying in his little heart thinking about these things you'll still have birthdays but telling people about Jesus in Albania will be more important that's what God is saying to him in his little heart and he says you're welcome for everything I'm going to give you And sometimes we hear the things that come out of our children's mouths and we go, wow, they're just so clear. They cut through all the world and they just get down to the most basic things. And they're not afraid of the people around them. When they worship, they can be doing this. Now, if you do that, you know, what's going on? They don't worry. They can jam. You know, they can shout at the top of their lungs. 
Hallelujah, 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 praise you, the Lord. But somewhere along the line, we've learned to let the ideas of people change what we believe, change how we act, change how we worship. There's a, I gotta wind this down. There's a, you know, Jesus drove in, drove the donkey into the, uh, into the temple area when he was revealed. The king, riding the boy, the children were singing songs. Hosanna to the son of David. And those songs lingered to the next day. You know, he went out and then he came back and cleansed the temple. And while he was in the temple and the children were still running around, those songs were still running around. You probably had some songs running around your houses as they were studying for the smack program tonight. But what were they singing? They were singing, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, they were saying, Jesus is the Messiah. And so the Pharisees who knew better, grown up, gone to college, and uh, got skeptical about Jesus, said, don't you realize what they are saying? Don't you know what they're doing? They're, they're calling you the Messiah. Why don't you make them be quiet? And those are those famous words where we can grow where, man, if I would tell them to be quiet, all the rocks would cry out. Children get it. They cut through. Somehow they recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. So Jesus pointed to them and said, you know, and I love this. He says, haven't you heard what is written in the Old Testament in the Psalms? This is how he finishes up this little encounter with the Pharisees. He says, out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have perfected praise. And the word he uses there, perfected, is a word we get artisan from. These little creatures that sit beside you are artisans of praise. God uses their mouths to perfect praise. You know, he has a lot of people praising him. He's got all these angels in heaven saying, holy, holy, holy. He's got a lot of people saying things about him. But he says, perfect praise, you're going to find that in the little ones. Children simply praise. They simply believe. They simply praise. So I don't want to miss the last part. I'm going to jump to verse 10. So, if you got a, you like a child in a kingdom, you know, children are alive. There's a lot of discussion about what's who's greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus gets the child, puts him on. You got to become like a child. What's a child like? Children love to serve. If you, if you talk to my granddaughter Amelia and you want her to do something, y'all, all you got to do is say, "Can you help me, honey?" And she would jump in. Because the first thing she wants to do is serve. We lose that when we grow up. We want to be in charge. But then, so here's the response of Jesus. And I never understood this with the parable of lost sheep. Come to verse 10 there. When he says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And then he begins this parable. What do you think? 
If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine that never went astray. Now, one of the cool things about the parable that Jesus teaches is he always explains it at the end. You know, so what is this parable really about? Is it about the loss that's out there? What is Jesus using this parable to teach? It's right here in verse 14. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. He's talking about kids again. And so he's giving a warning to them. And in the section right before this section, he's talking about this idea of stumbling blocks. And he warns the people, he says, make sure that you do not cause one of these little ones to stumble. It's a heavy charge. And then the idea where he, he says, something causes you to stumble, I want you to cut it off. This is the context of the verses Jesus is teaching us. So here's this huge charge. You better take care of my sheep. Don't you cause them to stumble. Don't you undermine their faith. Because their angels are always in front of me, talking to me. Your children have angels, you know that. Their face is always before the Father, behold. They're always communicating. It's a time for self-evaluation. We put stumbling blocks in front of our kids, in front of the little ones. They're the precious lambs. They have a protector. And here's the last part of it. Children simply praise. They simply trust. They simply see. They simply serve. And if you become like your children, you can think back to what it was like when you simply trusted, when you simply praised, when you simply served. Without judging God, without qualifying, without, uh, without restriction, with abandon, without caring about what other people think, without discerning with your education what God should do and should if you dream like you're in Disneyland, if you're thinking of those things in the kingdom like Jesus thinks about them, if you just listen to the words of Jesus and not try to always qualify what he says, then you can become like a child. We're going to sing a song and just let these things sink in. Lord, we're thankful for the fact that you made the kingdom accessible to anyone who will come to you and say, Abba, Father, Daddy, we love you. We just want to hear from you. Help us go back, become a child again. Help us to dream with you. 
Help us to memorize what you said and just follow it simply, perfectly. Praise you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.